Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola, founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. So on today's episode, I'm going to be answering some questions from a listener called Laura. Hey, Laura, thank you so much for sending in your questions. And I'm going to be diving into her questions specifically on retirement and investing, debt, sinking funds, and money and relationships. So definitely stay tuned. You want to listen to this episode. Um, Laura asked some really, really great questions. But before we get into the episode, I want to share a couple of things with you. So thank you guys so much for making the Clever Girl Finance book such a massive success. I know I've said this before, but you know, I just wanted to express my thanks again because this has just been an amazing experience. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast already, but the Clever Girl Finance book has exceeded the lifetime sales expectations that my publisher had for the book. So basically, the number of books they expected my book to sell over the course of its life has been exceeded in the last three months since the book has been out. And that is just mind-blowing to me. So I'm super excited. I'm in conversations about my second book now, which is also very, very exciting. So thank you guys so much for all your support to everyone who has picked up a copy. And if you haven't already picked up a copy of the book, you can find it at your local bookstore, Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, and you can also get it as an audiobook or ebook wherever it is that you buy your audio or ebooks. So, for instance, Audible, Apple Books, Google Play, etc. And also, if you haven't stopped by clevergirlfinance.com in a while, head on over. We have some incredible content. We are constantly adding content to our blog multiple times a week now, and there's just a ton of really great information to help you as you work on improving your finances. And we are about to step into the holiday season, which is typically the season of overspending and, you know, racking up debt that you don't need. And so now is a great time to really get immersed in your finances, in the things that you want to accomplish, your financial goals, get really, really clear on your budget and how you want to approach the holiday season and even going into the new year. And to do that, I encourage you to stop by and check out one of our courses and not just take a course on a variety of personal finance topics, but also schedule time with one of our Clever Girl Finance mentors. So when you sign up for a course on our platform, you get access to schedule calls with our mentors and they're there to support you and guide you as you work on achieving your financial goals. So this is an amazing resource that I hope you will take advantage of. So just stop by clevergirlfinance.com. So now let's get into this episode where I'm going to be answering Laura's questions. So I'm just going to start out by reading a summary of Laura's email and pulling out the points that are going to be relevant to the questions I will be answering. And then I will go over her questions and then answer them one by one. And in my answers, I will be sharing my opinion and what I think that she can do, suggestions and options. And as you listen to this, Laura and anyone else who's listening, keep in mind that personal finance is personal. And so you want to do what works best for you, what makes the most sense for you and your unique financial situation. So let's get into it. So Laura says in her email, hello, love your podcast and book. Your advice is so empowering and non-judgmental, it's really helped me get control of our plan. My questions have to do with investing, debt, and marriage. Saddle up because I have a lot of information and questions I need to get through. LOL. (laughs) I'm sorry, the LOL was cute. Okay, some background about us. My husband and I are lawyers, specifically public defenders. That means we have a huge amount of student loans but earn a public service salary, and we're enrolled in the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. 
I know there are some horror stories about people getting denied, but those are people who are enrolled in different repayment plans and with less straightforward occupations, so much different than us. We racked up tons of credit card debt in law school, planning for our wedding, and generally being irresponsible enjoying life post-law school the first two years. We weren't smart at all. This year, I had to take time off from work to deal with a family matter and didn't get a check for a few months. You can imagine on a public defender salary, one income doesn't stretch far, so we racked up more credit card debt and depleted our savings. That's brought us to where we are now. I realized our debt situation and lack of savings was a very dangerous place to be. I looked at how much money we wasted eating out and going to bars with colleagues too often and spent a lot of time restructuring our budget, and we are now basically into a five-year plan. The budget we have now includes nine accounts. Number one, a joint checking account for bills that are automated and whatever we can throw towards credit cards and eventually the cars the second we get the direct deposit. Number two, a joint checking for discretionary expenses, groceries, gas, and a modest allocation to go out to eat or date night every pay period, but nothing extravagant. Number three, a sinking account to spread out things that come up. This has actually been the greatest lifesaver I have learned from your blog because every time I tried to get our budget right, something came up so we could never catch up or make progress. I'll put the link to the sinking fund article and also emergency fund article in the show notes of this episode. Number four, a mid-range savings account for vacations and eventual down payment on a house for when we need to start a family and need more room than the 1,200 square foot home we have now. Number five, an emergency fund that's in a separate bank with $1,000 to start and $160 a month automatically deposited from my dad because he took out some loans in my name in college, but now they are all consolidated. He just pays me a monthly amount instead. Eventually, we will add more monthly to this debt once other debts are taken care of. Number six, my government pension that has a mandatory contribution. Number seven, my husband's government pension, same deal. Number eight, my Roth IRA that I contribute $10 a paycheck to just to put something in there while we take care of everything else. And number nine, my husband's Roth IRA, which is also the same deal. Now, I know that you're really supposed to throw everything at debt before saving for anything else, but the reality for us is that there are a few trips we really want to take before having kids, which we have on a five-year plan. If we focus only on our debt first, we wouldn't be able to do those things before then. So maybe it's breaking the rules, but it's important to us. I'm picking up catering gigs for a company I worked for in law school and looking into some bartending shifts for the holidays. I'm also a spin instructor as a side hustle, and our budget assumes the minimum amount I can make, but I usually make much more than that. My husband is trying to break into teaching some law courses to high schoolers and undergrads. Our agency schedules annual raises and larger raises every fourth year of service, so hopefully we can add to this plan. So here are my questions. Retirement and investing. Should we do more than we have planned for right now? Assuming we stay disciplined, we should have all the debt paid off, minus the mortgage and student loans, which require only three more years of service after we reach our goals. We'll have an e-fund for three months of expenses, the bucket list trips taken, and a down payment saved exactly five years from now. My thought has been that since we're contributing to a pension automatically already, we're at least putting something into retirement on top of the combined $40 a month that we're putting into our Roth IRAs. And that's really all that's left over from our income after budgeting for the lowest possible number to put towards our accounts. I'll be 33 and my husband will be 31. 
Is it not a good idea to start with so little? Also, should we just have one Roth account or keep two? Debt. Is this the most effective way to accomplish our goals in five years when it comes to paying off our debt or is there something better? Sinking account. We're worried about using a straight up savings account since we could pull from it every few months for things like hair appointments, etc. Do you recommend a certain type of checking account? Marriage. How do we even have separate accounts? This plan takes our joint income, which is exactly the same because we began our careers at the same time at the same agency, though luckily at different offices. We don't know how we can split up with these goals in mind. We're fine with not individually gifting each other for birthdays and anniversary. We can just plan things together. But how do we even break up our accounts when the time comes? Or can the time come before then? Car. We lease cars, which I've learned is stupid. We don't want monthly payments anymore. My lease runs up October 2020, his in September 2021. So we're stuck till then, respectively. I'm worried my credit won't be good enough to leverage a good auto loan that I can pay off quickly. Do you have any suggestions on the best way to set this up successfully? I just want to start everything correctly now. Okay, so a lot of information from Laura. And again, Laura, thank you so much for sending this in. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, this is going to be helpful to other women who are listening to this as well. And so let's get into um, my thoughts and suggestions regarding each of your questions. And again, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I'm just going to be sharing my opinions and thoughts. Obviously, this is your own unique situation. You want to do what works best for you. And also, there's a few things that you did not mention. So you don't tell me how much debt that you have or how much you make. So I'm just going to be more general in some responses since I don't have that level of detail. So first, let's talk about your question on retirement and investing and whether you should do more than you have planned for right now. And I would say that it really depends. So you state that with your government pension, there is a mandatory contribution um, that you're required to put in, right? And I did a little bit of research online. I saw that depending on the type of structure you have um, and the agency you work for, there is potentially a match. And so if your mandatory contribution um, allows you to fully take advantage of that match, if you do have one, then that's great. However, if you need to contribute just a little bit more to take full advantage of the match that your employer might be offering, then in terms of your question as to if you should do more, I would definitely recommend that you contribute enough to get the full match um, for your contributions to that pension because the match is essentially free money um, and you want to take advantage of that match. Free money is great. Nothing beats that. You know, it's it's amazing. So in terms of contributing more um, to your pension or to your federal um, employee retirement plan, I would definitely make sure that you're taking full advantage of any match that's being offered to both you or your husband. When it comes to your Roth IRA accounts and whether you should have one or keep two, I would definitely recommend that you keep both accounts. So right now you're in this five-year plan where you are focused on paying off debt. However, when you get past this debt payoff period, right? You're going to have more money that you can put towards your other goals and towards your investments. And one thing to keep in mind with Roth IRAs is that there are limits to how much you can contribute. So if you only have the one account, then you're limited to how much you can contribute to just that one account. Whereas if you have 
two accounts, then you can essentially contribute twice as much because now, because you and your husband each have Roth IRA accounts, you now have double the maximum limit that you can contribute. So when you look at it from a perspective of, you know, both accounts combined and how much you can contribute in total to both accounts. So I definitely recommend that you keep both accounts, both Roth IRAs, even though you cannot max out your contributions right now because you're focused on debt, you are going to get past this phase of paying off debt. You will pay off your debt and then you can go really hard towards maxing out those accounts and taking full advantage of those contribution um, limits. You also said that that $40 a month that you're both contributing combined to your Roth IRAs is the maximum you can do based on your budgets. And I think that's okay, right? It's okay to focus on paying off your debt because at the end of the day, when you're thinking about investing versus paying off debt, you want to look at the big picture, right? So your debt comes with a certain amount of interest, especially if you have credit card debt, you know, auto loans and things like that. And then compared to your investment accounts, right, your consumer debt might have a much higher interest rate. It probably likely does, especially with the credit cards, than your investment account returns, right? So on average, that's somewhere between seven to eight percent over the long term, over the long term. So I definitely think that it makes more sense to just focus on, you know, putting those amounts to your pension, getting whatever match if one exists, putting those small amounts to your Roth IRA so that you're at least contributing something, and then focusing fully on getting yourself out of that debt. And once you've done that, you can then shift your focus onto wrapping up your savings and your investments. And you did make a point about how you want to be able to take some trips within the next five years before you have kids, as opposed to putting every single thing you have at your debt. And I think that that is okay, but I would just caution that when you are planning these trips that you don't want to go overboard, you don't want them to be excessive or crazy. That way you can still have an incredible experience, but you can still be able to put money towards your debt and stick to your five-year plan. So yes, it is okay to reward yourself, to have a great time, to splurge while you're going through the process, but it has to be within reason. It has to make sense, right? Let's say you're paying off debt of $25,000, right? It doesn't make sense to take a $10,000 trip because that just kind of counteracts all the progress you're making towards paying off your debt. So as long as it's within reason and you've built saving for those trips into your budget and you have this five-year plan that you're aggressively working, then why not? And if you make extra money from your side hustle or extra money from your husband's teaching job, then you can take that money and allocate it directly towards your debt so that you can accelerate your payoff time and become debt-free even faster. So I've kind of also answered your debt question in my response just now as well as to if this approach is the most effective way. And I will just add to that and say, and I kind of alluded to this already, but if you get any sort of bonuses or refunds or just any additional income in excess of what you have planned for, in excess of your budget, I would definitely advise just take that money and put it as a lump sum towards your debt so that you can accelerate your debt repayment and reduce that five-year timeline. So the quicker you can get out of debt, the quicker you can focus on your other financial and life goals. 
Okay, so next let's talk about your question on the sinking fund and how you're worried about using a straight up savings account because you are worried about spending the money. And this is a common question and also a common dilemma that people have. They start to save and then the money is so easily accessible, they dip into it and they spend it and it's like, oh my God, what happened? So when it comes to your sinking fund, your emergency fund, um, you want to reduce how accessible it is especially if you're still working on your discipline with spending. And I am a firm believer that when it comes to improving your finances, achieving your financial goals, you need to make it as easy for yourself to succeed as possible. And that could simply mean making those accounts less accessible. So is this account tied to your checking account that you can easily transfer the money back and forth within a matter of seconds? Do you have checks for this account? Do you have a debit card for this account that's right in your wallet? Like how easy is it for you to get to this money? Because if it's super easy, there's a high chance that you're going to want to spend it because you will get tempted. Temptations in this world are a many. <laughs> There's so many things that tempt you and they are completely unplanned and then you will find yourself spending. So minimize how accessible these accounts are to you. And that can mean moving that money to a credit union, you know, somewhere else that doesn't have online transfer abilities or easy online transfer abilities where you have to wait days or don't even connect your accounts at all. When you need the money, go to the bank, withdraw it, get a cashier's check, whatever you need. Um, get rid of the debit card, get rid of the checks, break any account links. Essentially, you want to kind of isolate this money where you can't get to it easily, but if you have to get to it, you can easily drive down or make a phone call and get the money sent over to you. So my suggestion is to just look at your current setup for your sinking fund, your emergency fund. And if it's just a little too accessible, reduce how accessible this money is um, for you to access. Okay. So regarding your marriage question, you talked about how do you have separate accounts? I wasn't quite clear on whether you actually want to have separate accounts because you currently have joint accounts or if um, it's something that you're considering. And so I will say that when it comes to separate accounts versus joint accounts, again, this is a very personal decision. It depends on how you and your husband manage your finances. Um, my husband and I, we both have joint and separate accounts. And so I'm just going to make an assumption here. Um, and I'm going to assume that you guys have joint accounts to pay your bills. Um, your plan is based on your joint income, as you said, but maybe you want to have your own money that you don't want to explain when you want to get your hair done, buy a gift for your husband and things like that. So one of the things that you guys can do is to build in individual, like no questions asked money into your budget. And it could be small amounts that you guys kind of like create a line item for in your budget. So wife's money, husband's money. And this could be money that goes into two separate checking accounts, one for yourself, one for your husband. And you guys can do as you please with this money. You can decide that you don't want to put the money into the account that month and put it towards your debt. You can decide that you're going to use the money to get your hair done, go out with your girlfriends, buy your husband a gift. It's basically guilt-free money, money that you can use at your own discretion without having to explain to your husband what it is. Keeping in mind that you guys still want to have open lines of communication so you can definitely um, talk about what's going on in those accounts, but you just don't have to ask permission when you're spending from it, right? Does that make sense? So um, that's my opinion. There are different ideologies about how 
accounts, you manage in relationships, and I think it's very unique to the individuals involved in the relationship. So you and your husband sit down and see if that approach makes sense for you. Can you guys agree to having two separate checking accounts for just like personal things that you want to do that you can talk about, but don't necessarily have to ask permission from each other to use that money? So that's what I would recommend in terms of those accounts. And so your last question is in regards to your car. So you have a lease that runs up in October of 2020 and your husband has a lease that runs up in September of 2021. So a year and two years to go. And you're worried because you're stuck with these leases, but you don't think you'll qualify with your credit to finance a car that you can pay off quickly. So there's a couple of things that you can consider at this point, right? Um, I don't necessarily think that you are stuck in your lease, it just, you're never stuck in anything. It just, the question is, what is it really going to cost you, right? So if you break the lease, um, what are the penalties going to be? I know that there are options where you can swap out your lease with a third-party company. You have to do some research on that. Um, but then again, what are the fees? What What is that going to cost you? And you may want to run the numbers to see if it makes sense. Basically, if you compare what you would have to pay over the life of the lease that you have left over versus what the penalty will cost you to break the lease or swap the lease, does it make more financial sense to break or swap the lease or do you just keep the lease until it expires, right? And then when it comes to getting another car, so let's assume that you choose to keep the lease for another year, your husband for another two years. You have another year, um, another two years to do two things. Number one, you have time to improve your credit. Number two, you have time to save up money to potentially buy a car in cash. And so you may be wondering, well, I told Bella all these different things that I have going on. Our finances are really tight. We're focused on paying off our debt. How am I going to save money to buy a car outright? And I would maybe suggest that you take a look at one of those trips that you want to take and maybe sacrifice one of those trips, don't hate me, <laughs> towards purchasing a car. So the funds that you're going to put towards one of your trips, take that money and put it towards saving up for a car. Alternatively, you know, if there's just no other option and you need this vehicle to get to work, to commute, um, you may want to focus on improving your credit so that you can finance a low cost, the most affordable but re reliable car that you can get, and then set a plan, build this plan into your five-year plan to obliterate that debt as quickly as possible. Um, because when it comes to cars, you know, they are depreciating assets, which means the longer you drive them, the more miles you put on them, the older they are, the less value they hold. And so you want to keep in mind that if you're going to finance a car, you want to buy the most affordable, most reliable car you can afford, but also create a plan to pay off that car note as quickly as possible, right? You want to pay it off way before the timeline they give you. If you sign up for a three or four year car loan, don't set your mind that it's going to take you three or four years to pay it off. Like build it into your plan to get rid of it as quickly as possible. So focus on rebuilding your credit, start saving cash for a car you can buy outright. And if you do get to a point where you actually have to finance a car, then create a plan to pay it off as quickly as possible and also come up with as much of a down payment towards that car, towards that car note as possible so you can minimize the total amount of interest that's going to be accumulating on that car loan. So um, yeah, so those are my thoughts, my opinions. Again, like I said in the beginning, in the middle, 
personal finance and this is unique to you. So act on what you feel makes the most sense. Do things within reason and focus on sticking to the plan that you have created for yourself and then find ways, find hacks to accelerate that plan, to accelerate the timeline so that you can get to the other side of what you're trying to accomplish even faster and start working on your other financial goals. So I hope this has been helpful, Laura, and thank you for sending your questions in once again. And I hope you guys have enjoyed listening and have learned something valuable from my answers and also from Laura's questions and the background that she gave us on her own situation. So yeah, that's everything I wanted to cover on this episode of the podcast. And before you go, if you have loved what you listen to, but you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please do. You can subscribe everywhere you listen to your podcast. So iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, head over, subscribe, tell your friends, your girlfriends, your colleagues, your acquaintances about this podcast. And if you have loved this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women and the men who listen as well, I see you, (laughs) can find this podcast as well. And be sure to head over to cleverwellfinance.com, check out our courses, schedule time with our mentors, and pick up a copy of the Clever Girl Finance book. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll talk to you soon.